All right, guys, again, I'd love to welcome you. My name is Tom. I am the lead pastor here with Restored Church. Uh, and it really is a privilege to be here with you guys this Sunday, especially for me. Um, this week, I was, it was a rough week for me. So um, if you're new, again, welcome. It's cool because everybody's new. We just started a new series. Uh, we've called this series Jesus Is... Um, and we've been going through the Gospel of John, and really the whole point of this is we want to put Jesus front and center. Like, we, we, we don't ever want to move on from Jesus. Jesus is the point of Christianity. He's the point of the church. He's the point of the planet. He's the point of creation. He is everything. Like, he's king. He's, he's the central figure, not only in the Bible, but of all things in our life, and we want him to be the central figure of this church. So we've been going through the series. If you were with us last week, um, we, we, we talked about how Jesus is the word of God in the flesh and, and what that means for us. Um, if you want to get caught up on the series, I did an intro that would be really helpful. Um, all that stuff's on the website. It's free on the podcast and stuff. But basically, we're going through this, going through the book of John because the gospel of John is really unique. Um, uh, John kind of lays out his purpose for, for this gospel account and he says um, that it's so that you would believe in Jesus, that he's the Christ, that he's the Savior, and that you'd have life in his name. And we've been talking about how the, the reality is that what we believe, it actually influences our behavior. So the things that we believe are hugely important. Okay, you're always operating out of your beliefs. It's almost like the, we talked about how it's the, it's the software that, that, that our life runs on. The things that we believe, it influences our behavior. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so we're going to jump in. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John. We're still in John chapter 1. And while you're flipping there, uh, Thursday was Ebony and I's wedding anniversary. Yeah, uh, I was sick. <clears throat> so we had like planned to go out of town, and we still tried to make it happen, but it was, it was, it was like... It was a train wreck. Um, and instead of having this, you know, fun time away, she had to put up with me and me being sick and being, you know, uncomfortable and whining and pain and just being a little, you know, wuss. <clears throat> and it was interesting, though, because uh, during, uh, you know, during our, our, our sort of time away, uh, it got me thinking about how long Ebony has had to put up with me. And it's crazy because... Uh, in two years, I believe it is, in two years, we'll have, been, we'll have spent more time together than we have, like, apart. We'll have been together as this exclusive couple, this, you know, we'll have been together longer than we've been apart in, in the next two years. So it's been, a, it's, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride. And I remember, you know, obviously your anniversary starts, you, got, you start to, like, replay things and think about the past and celebrate the past, all that kind of stuff. And um, I was thinking about... I was thinking back to like our first real romantic date, you know, and uh, Ebony grew up here in the Valley like I did, and she worked at In-N-Out Burger, okay? <clears throat> In-N-Out Burger's great, like, <laughs> and, and here's the cool thing about In-N-Out, they take really good care of their employees, they really do. They're, they're a well-run company, they're wonderful, and one of the things that they do every single year for their employees is they have what's called like, it's the employee company picnic, Right? And if you're familiar with, like, employee company picks, it's like, oh, cool, we're going to a park to, like, half the people don't want to play volleyball and half of them do, and it's, like, this weird, awkward thing, and it's, like, a, you know, potluck. In-N-Out doesn't do that. When Ebony was working at In-N-Out, they would have these company picnics where they would, like, rent out Knott's Berry Farm, and it would be, like, really good food and a ton of fun. And one of the cool things is that they allow their employees to bring their family and a guest, so our first kind of real romantic date was Ebony invited me to her company picnic. And I'm going there thinking, okay, we're going to have fun. Ebony's cool, whatever, like not a big deal, you know. But I was, I was excited about it, but I wasn't like blown away. And I remember like, you know, going through the day and I remember um, just having a really great time with her. And like something really special happened that day. Something really special. I, I saw her. Like, I saw her for who she truly was. Like, I saw not just, like, this external beauty, but this internal beauty. And this, like, fun-loving girl. And this unique, special, wonderful woman. Like, I saw her. 
Something really special happened that day. I, I saw her almost like differently, you know? I saw her for who she truly was. I fell in love with her. And kind of the rest is history, you know? <clears throat> in today's passage that we're going to go through in the Gospel of John, we're going to talk about a different John, not the Apostle John, who's responsible for publishing this Gospel account, but today we're going to talk about John the Baptist. Some of you may have heard of this guy. And he has a moment similar to my moment at Knott's Berry Farm with Ebony. Only his had nothing to do with, you know, a future wife. John the Baptist saw Jesus. And he didn't just like see him with his eyes. He saw him clearly. He saw Jesus for who he truly was. He saw Jesus as the Lamb of God. So following with this series, you know, Jesus is, today's message is titled, Jesus is the Lamb of God. We're going to talk about what that means. So hopefully you've flipped open your Bible to John chapter 1 by now. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the scriptures, okay? Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your faithfulness and your patience. And Spirit, uh, I pray that this morning you would really uh, help me to think clearly. I'm having a really difficult time processing. Um, So would you just kind of, yeah, would you fill me up, Spirit? Help me to honor and love and serve my brothers and sisters. Um, I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in these precious people's lives. I thank you that each of them matter to you. So would you show us more of yourself, and more of ourselves, and more of your deep and powerful love for us. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us, Holy Spirit, right now. Amen. Okay, so we are going to read John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 34. Okay, I'm going to be reading in the, in the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. Uh, if you don't have an ESV, it'd probably be easier just to follow along on the screen, but that's there for you if you'd like. Here we go. Okay. Starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. Again, this is John the Baptist, okay, not the Apostle John. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Messiah. Okay, verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. And then they said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. These are basically just like the religious leaders, right? Verse 25 these religious leaders, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw, he, is is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the spirit from heaven like a dove. I'm sorry, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. Okay, This morning, we're going to chat through three things, okay? If you're taking notes, these are the things that you want to write down. Okay, the first is this, John's baptism. 
The second, John's identity. And the third, John's encounter. Okay? John's baptism, John's identity, and John's encounter. All right, let's jump into his baptism. So, John got the name John the Baptist for a reason, right? So to help us kind of understand what's John's baptism all about, I want to read you a quick quote from this pastor in New York City. His name's Tim Keller. Uh, really gifted, uh, gift to the church, actually. Wonderful guy. He says this, quote, <clears throat> if you were a Gentile, that means like not a Jew, anybody that's not a Jew, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to follow the God of Israel, you were considered a convert and you were often baptized. Why would you baptize a Gentile? Because Gentiles are unclean dogs. Gentiles are of those other impure races, you see, So we baptize as a signification of the fact that they're unclean and being made clean. You tracking with this? John the Baptist is demanding everybody get baptized. Not just you Gentiles, not just the non-Jews. Repent and be baptized, all of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. That was John's message. He's saying we're all unclean. There's no one who deserves salvation. There's no one who can merit it. We are all unclean. The salvation of the Messiah is going to be by grace alone. He's also saying that all races are going to be equal before his feet. Keller says this is innovative, radical, and in your face. So John the Baptist, his message, right, he's preaching that everyone, not just the Gentiles, not just the non-Jews, everyone's unclean before God. He's saying that Jews and Gentiles need to be cleansed of their sins, of the ways that they reject God, the ways they don't trust him, the ways that they do their own thing, right? He's saying that no matter who you are, like no matter your race, no matter your skin color, no matter your background, no matter your morality even, like maybe you perform better than she does, not even your morality, none of it can make you clean. And what he's doing is he was baptizing people for the repentance of their sins, to repent means to turn away, to change your mind, to go, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not just I'm sorry, it's I'm stopping. Make sense? Okay, that's John's baptism. Let's talk about the second thing, John's identity, who he was, right? John the Baptist was a, a pretty popular preacher. And the interesting thing about him <clears throat> was that he didn't have like, he wasn't educated by a um, approved of or recognized rabbi. Okay, so he didn't have like, it's kind of like the equivalent of like he didn't have a college degree. He didn't go to like seminary. <clears throat> okay, so, so you can understand why the religious leaders are kind of skeptical of John because he doesn't have an accredited university to say, stamp of approval, this guy is totally cleared, he's good to go. <clears throat> okay, so he's preaching this message that the Messiah is coming and that all people are unclean. So because of John's message and what he was doing, the religious leaders, they come out to the wilderness to check John out. They want to get a read on this guy. And they ask him, who are you? They're asking him about his identity. Now, believe it or not, the people around you, they pay attention to the way that you live. You might not think that people are watching, but people do. Because I know this because you do. You pay attention to the people around you. You might not think you do, like, oh, I'm not concerned with other people, but let's be honest, we really are. And maybe not even the people around us, but the people that we think are important. Maybe it's celebrity culture. Maybe it's the neighbors on our street. Maybe it's whatever it is, but we really do. The people around you pay attention to the way that you live, to what you say, to what you do. I want to talk to just the Christians in the room, just the people that say, I follow Jesus. When you live differently, people will ask you why. Like it will happen. One of the things that um, I genuinely try to work at is to live in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation. Here's what I mean by that. So like Christians, again, when you go to restaurants, especially in your city, like tip big. And don't just tip big because they did a good job. Let's say your server actually did a really bad job, a really poor job. They didn't serve you very well. They weren't a good hostess, whatever it is. Like tip them big even then. 
And you might say, well, they don't deserve it. Exactly. Exactly. They don't deserve it. When you live in such a way that demands a gospel explanation, when you tip somebody really big because they don't deserve it, not based on their performance, that, that's like a test, that's a, that's a testifying with your actions, with your life <clears throat> of the gospel. It's, it's, it's literally the same thing as like, hey, you know, why would you tip someone, why would you tip someone generously when they didn't perform well? Because God has been so generous with me and it's had nothing to do with my performance. And that changes me. And I want to extend that same thing that Jesus gave to me. I want to give it away as well. It's living in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. I mean, dude, when you radically serve people, <clears throat> like when you radically serve the needs of others, and, and listen, not, even, not just when it's convenient, but especially when it's inconvenient, especially when it's a genuine sacrifice for you, like when you help, when you give, like a lot of you guys gave up your Saturday to help the Lachlans move. Beautiful. <clears throat> when you give of your time sacrificially, uh, when you give up your Friday night to like help a young family with childcare so they can get a date night or whatever it is, and not to get paid, but genuinely when you sacrifice your time generously, sacrificially, or when you're gen- so many of you guys are very generous with your finances. When you see a need in the church, you're so quick to go, how can I help with this? It's beautiful. When you do those things, your time, your money, your effort, when you're, when you're sacrificially generous, people notice that kind of stuff because it's not that common. When you love people and not to get something out of it, it's very, very different than what most people do. It's very different than my default. My default is not to love anybody unless I get something out of it. That's the fallen condition of my heart, my selfishness, that's my sin. So when we, you, me, us, whatever, when we behave in a different way, it sticks out. People take notice of that. Like, why are you so concerned with meeting the needs of others, especially when it costs you something great? Like, why would you do that? Because God served my greatest need, my greatest need by sacrificing himself for me. He was incredibly generous for me, incredibly sacrificial for me. And it's changed me. I actually desire something different now. I desire to be sacrificially generous, not, be, not to get someone's approval or to get God's approval, because I already have that, but because I want to respond to receiving that. It's an overflow. Are you tracking with this idea? I need you to nod. You guys have to like, participate with me. Yes? Okay, I'll move on. All right, so living in such a way that demands a gospel and explanation is one of the best ways to show the world what God's really like. There are plenty of misconceptions about what God is like, about what the church is like. I talk to so many people. One of the first things that they ask me when they meet you, you know, is what do you do? And I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a church planner, and they go, oh man, I hate the church. Church is hypocrites and, and selfish and unkind and they're all about themselves. They want to build this business. And I'm like, I've met the same people. I can't, I can't disagree with you. But that's not what the scriptures say. That's not what the spirit-filled people of God would behave like. <clears throat> and again, I'm just as guilty. I've done all the terrible things. I've been just as selfish, right? But there are plenty of misconceptions that when we live in such a way that demands a gospel explanation, it actually shows people the truth about who God is. So, John the Baptist this guy is living his life in a very intriguing way to these religious leaders. So much so that they have to go out to the wilderness to check him out. They come out to him, they ask him, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Like, are you the promised one, you know, the savior that's been prophesied about, the Jews were waiting for? And he goes, no, that's not me. So their follow-up question is, okay, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? Elijah, he was an Old Testament prophet. And here's the thing about Elijah, he never died. He never died. Like the, the scriptures talk about him getting ascend, he ascended into heaven. <clears throat> so the Jews, they believed that God would send Elijah, a prophet like Elijah, to usher in the coming of the Messiah. Okay? So the Jews, they're waiting for this. They're waiting for Elijah to come because if Elijah's coming, they're like, okay, then the, the, the Messiah is going to be on his coattails. He's coming, he's coming shortly thereafter. So they ask him this, are you Elijah? And John says, no. He goes, I'm John. Like, I'm, I'm not 
Elijah reincarnated. I'm not the second coming of Elijah or something like that. Here's what's interesting. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Luke, these are Matthew and Luke's Gospel accounts of Jesus. Jesus actually says, he connects John the Baptist with the prediction, with the prophecy about the coming of, uh, of Elijah. He basically says that John is the one to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. But he's not Elijah, he's John. You tracking with this? Yeah, so Jesus testifies to that. So then they follow up, they go, okay, you're not, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, are you the prophet? You guys know Moses, right? Moses predicted that God would raise up a prophet kind of like him. So again, the Jews are waiting for him. So they are, are you, are you him? Are you, are you the prophet that Moses was talking about? And he says, no. So they're confused. They're like, okay, if you aren't the Messiah, if you aren't the second coming of Elijah, if you aren't the prophet that, prophet that, that Moses spoke of, who are you, John? And John's response is that he is a voice. He says he's a voice with a message. And that message is to make straight the way of the Lord. What John was doing there is he's referencing another prophecy, a prediction, okay? From Isaiah, another Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 40. And he's saying, I'm the guy that Isaiah prophesied about. I'm the one who is to prepare the way for God to come. So, really quickly, let's make this personal. When people ask you, when people ask you who you are, what do you say? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to formulate in your brain right now what's your answer to that. Who are you? What's your answer? Usually when people want to get to know you more, you know, they ask you your name and then their follow-up question is probably what? Exactly. What do you do? Because in our Western culture, what you do is who you are. It's a shame. It's sad, but in our culture, what you do is your identity. It's pretty shallow, but it's the reality. But listen to me. I'm not asking you what you do. I'm asking you who you are. Like what defines you? I know these are deep questions and maybe it's uncomfortable on a Sunday morning to talk like this, but I wouldn't be loving you if I didn't. What defines you? What is your most true identity? Like maybe you'd say, I'm a decent person. I'm a good person. Maybe you'd say, I'm not a good person. Maybe you'd say, you know, I'm a mom or I'm a dad or I'm a student, etc., etc. Who are you? John the Baptist's answer to that question is, I'm a voice. And honestly, it's a great answer. It's a phenomenal answer. Did you know that there are not two, any two voices that are the same? Like, everyone. No two voices are the same, scientifically, right? So you, you, your voice, it identifies you as much or more as your looks or even your fingerprints. There are several biological factors that determine your voice, yours. Like, right, you have air starts in your lungs, okay? Then it moves to your trachea and then across your larynx. And then I guess it's, I think it's stretched horizontally on your larynx is your vocal cords, so there's, there's several parts of your body that contribute to the sound of your voice and each of those parts is one of a kind. Your voice is completely unique. It's completely you. That means God designed you to be unique 
to be uniquely you. Like with your personality, with your gifts and strengths. Now I would propose to you that just like John, who you are is a voice. And what does a voice do? A voice makes sound, right? A voice is something that's actually heard. So God designed you to be unique and he designed you to be heard. Are you following with me? Friends, that means you are incredibly important. Maybe more important than you think you are today. God designed you to be one of a kind and that others would experience you in your uniqueness. And listen, when I say unique, please don't misunderstand me, okay? I'm not including sinful behavior in this. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not saying like, you know, I think people sometimes define themselves as like, well, I'm the rebel. Like, I, I'm the rebel, like, <clears throat> rebellious behavior is not the uniqueness that God had in mind, okay? Like, I just lie. I just embellish. I just say unkind and unloving things to people. Like, it's, it's part of my personality. No, it's not. Like, that's a result of sin. That is not your God-given uniqueness. Like, there's a difference Um, I, I love my brother Mark. <clears throat> uh, he came up and did the announcement about the guy's social and he was singing, leading worship for us today along with the team. And uh, I love my brother Mark. He's a unique dude. <clears throat> he just is. Like, he makes me laugh more than most people make me laugh. Uh, I love that about him. He's encouraging. Um, I remember when Mark was a young kid, uh, we had this piano in the house. We had this upright piano in the house that I grew up in. And when Mark was a young kid, uh, <laughs> I remember him asking my dad, hey, dad, like, how does a piano work? So Pops, like, explains it to him. You know, he says, you know, it's a stringed instrument and, and each of these keys, you know, that plucks one of the strings, you know, the white keys, they're whole notes. The black keys, they're, you know, they're sharps and flats. And so Mark just kind of processes this information as a kid. And like a couple days later, he's playing the piano. And not like other kids where it's, bum, bum, you know, like a, like a cat walking on the piano kind of thing. No, like he's actually playing the piano. And it's musical and it's beautiful and it's inspiring. Like music, it, honestly, it came easier to Mark than it came to most kids. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that he, like, didn't work at it and doesn't work at it. No, he's, like, he puts time in and practices and rehearses and develops his skill, but it came easier to him. His musical ability is part of his uniqueness. His sense of humor is part of his uniqueness. And his uniqueness, just like a voice, is for those around him to hear. It's for those around him to experience. My friend, you are no different. You are unique. Your uniqueness is for those around you to experience just like a voice. God designed you to be uniquely you. You're a voice. You're meant to be experienced by those around you. You guys ever watch stand-up comedy? When I'm in a bummed out mood, I love, like Netflix is great because there's like this plethora, this never ending list of stand-up comedians. And if I'm just kind of in a bummed out mood or I'm just exhausted or whatever, I'm tired, it's kind of a go-to. I'll just watch stand-up comedians. Anybody enjoy watching stand-up comedy? Let me see your hands. Okay, like four of you. Great. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you ever see a stand-up comedian do a really good impression? It kills every time. Like if you can do a good impression, you always get a laugh. Um, we love impressions. I believe people love impressions. It always makes you smile. You giggle a little bit. We love impressions because we recognize how unique a voice is. But here's the thing about an impression. 
it's not the comedian's voice. It's not their real voice. It's somebody else's voice. What about you? Are you like the comedian sometimes? What voice are the people around you actually hearing? Are they hearing yours, your unique voice, the way that God designed you? Or are they hearing your best attempt to sound like somebody else? My friend, nothing about you, absolutely nothing about you is an accident. Nothing. And when I say about you, again, I'm removing sin from this. That doesn't define you. Who God created you to be is something very, very unique. Unique, like no other voice. God created you, designed you to be a unique voice, to be heard and experienced. That means you're important. That means that you matter. And that means that you primarily don't exist for you. Like, think about it. A voice isn't needed when I'm by myself. I can just think and process. You only need a voice when there's other people involved to be experienced, right? God designed you to be experienced by others. We're gonna come back to this, okay? Let's go to my final point, John's encounter. So John, he tells the religious leaders, right? He's like, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet that Moses spoke of. Then he tells them, I'm a voice with a message. He says that he's a messenger of God who is preparing the way for the Messiah. And he said that the coming Messiah is far, far, far greater than he is. He says something to the effect of like, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then the next day, in verse 29, let's read it again, verse 29 The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John has an encounter with Jesus. Listen to me. This is like the most important part I want you to get today, okay? John has an encounter with Jesus. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus? Like an encounter with Jesus is different than knowing things about Jesus or hearing things about Jesus. Have you ever had a true encounter with Jesus? I mean, maybe you're thinking, what does an encounter with Jesus even look like? Like, I don't know. Maybe I have. An encounter with Jesus is recognizing him coming towards you and seeing him for who he truly is. An encounter with Jesus means identifying him based on his true identity. So John, he he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What John is saying here, let's talk about this, the Lamb of God. What does John mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? The Bible makes it very clear that the penalty for sin is death. Like the result of sin, sin results in death and dying and division and brokenness and everything that we hate about the world right now is a result of sins. The, the, The penalty for sin is death. So throughout history, the people of God, what they would do is they would sacrifice animals as a way to pay the debt of their sin. So a sacrificial lamb is something that the Jews the people of God, the followers of God, of Yahweh, a sacrificial lamb is something that they would have been keenly aware of. I mean, as far back as Genesis, like Genesis 22, you guys, some of you guys are probably familiar with the story of of Abraham and his son Isaac, right? It's a story of Abraham being willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac, not his only son, his son Isaac. He's He's willing to sacrifice him. And at the last minute, God intervenes and he provides a lamb to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. And then you fast forward to the story of the Passover. I think many of you guys are familiar with the story of the Passover, right? You have Israel, God's people, they're in slavery in Egypt, 
right? The time of Moses. And then God, what he does to free his people is he sends the 10 plagues. You guys remember the 10 plagues? So he goes through nine of them and, and, and Pharaoh's still stubborn. He won't let them go. And then the 10th and final plague is gnarly. <clears throat> the 10th and final plague overnight, <clears throat> God would pass through all of Egypt and the firstborn of each household would be killed. But God made a way for Israel, the people of God, to be protected from this plague. He told them to sacrifice a lamb. And what they would do is he said, sacrifice the lamb and paint the doorpost of your house with the blood of the lamb. And when he passed through Egypt to carry out this plague, when he saw the lamb's blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that house and their firstborn would be totally safe and fine. You, you follow me with this idea? That's the Passover. <clears throat> that tenth and final plague is what ultimately caused Pharaoh to release Israel from their slavery. Like, it's what finally broke them away from their bondage in Egypt. So the Jews, for literally thousands of years, even to this day, they still celebrate Passover. They still celebrate God faithfully delivering them from the slavery in Egypt by sacrificing the lamb, painting their doorposts, and him passing over them, and then the firstborns of Egypt being killed, and Pharaoh being broken, and that actually getting them freed from slavery. They've been celebrating this for thousands of years. They've been celebrating God rescuing them. So the sacrificial lamb was embedded in their culture. Like it was a, it was a huge part of their history. And not only was it a huge part of their history, like about what had already taken place, but the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied in Isaiah 53 about the coming Messiah, the one to come, about a suffering servant. Let me read this to you quickly, okay? We're almost done. Isaiah 53, I'm gonna read you verses four through seven. This is, this is um, Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah, the, a suffering servant who was to come. He says this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities is sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a what? Yeah, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, he's saying that Jesus is God's Passover Lamb for his people. He's saying that Jesus is the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about. Like, think about this. Like, Put yourself in the story. Imagine being a Jewish family in, in the time of this first Passover, right? You're in slavery. <clears throat> like, imagine what that sacrificial lamb that you painted your doorpost with, imagine what that thing meant to you. Like, it meant the life of your, of your brother or your sister or your son or your daughter or your extended family. I mean, the, the people of God, there were, there were the Israelites were, there were a large group of people not only your family, but your extended family and all your friends and who you know, like that sacrificial lamb meant that they, those specific people with names and faces got to live. John is saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's Passover lamb and that through his death, the sins of the world would be paid for. John's saying that Jesus is not just like a moral dude, like a good teacher, or a prophet. No, he's saying that he's something much more than that. He's saying that he's a substitute sacrifice for our sin. 
He is the lamb that God provides. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So how do you know if you've had an encounter with Jesus? You respond the same way that John did. Behold, the Lamb of God. The, Jesus is the Lamb of God, the suffering servant in my place. Behold. That word behold, there's so much more in there than just like behold, right? So if you guys are familiar with this, it was originally written in Greek and translated into English for us. <clears throat> but the Greek word there for behold is the word ida. And what it does is it, it indicates both an understanding, like I grasp this, Right? and an invitation. So basically it means, I get it. I see it. Do you? It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a grasping, an understanding, and an invitation to, to, to check out what you grasp and understand. I get it. I see it. Do you get it? Do you see it? That's what behold means. My friend, a true encounter with Jesus will have the same effect on you that it had on John. I see him coming towards me and he is someone much greater than me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He's holy, he's great. I think so often when we talk about an encounter with Jesus, I think a lot of people are like waiting to like levitate off the ground or something. It's like something insane is going to happen, something wild, like teleportation, or like, I've encountered Jesus because I'm floating through the air, like some somewhat ridiculous things, although some of this stuff's in the Bible. But listen, a true encounter with Jesus means you see him for who he truly is. That's an encounter with Jesus. Seeing him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I'm convinced that some of you in the room know a lot about Jesus. That's awesome. That's wonderful. That's great. But knowledge about him and an encounter with him are two very different things. And I also believe that even this morning, some of you, maybe for the first time or maybe for the 500 millionth time, you're encountering Jesus. Like you're seeing him for who he truly is. For his beauty, for his glory, for his goodness, for his kindness. I think others of you want to. But here's the thing. The scriptures tell us that it's only the spirit of God that enables us to see Jesus clearly. Like you can't try hard enough. There's this, there's this reality of depending on God that we see that the life of the believer, the life of the follower of Jesus has to inhibit. It's called faith. Like we depend on him. We trust in him. <clears throat> you cannot try hard enough to see Jesus clearly. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart and mind to the reality of the beauty of Jesus. <clears throat> Spirit, would you help us? Help each of us to encounter him. Help, help each of us to see him clearly, God. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. <clears throat> Listen, I'm almost done. Jesus being the lamb of God, it is the gospel. It's the gospel. It, like, you're guilty. I'm guilty. You deserve punishment. <clears throat> the penalty for our sin is blood. But at the cross... God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he offers his blood instead of yours. Like, do you see this? He's the sacrificial lamb in your place. The best news in the entire world. There's nothing better. Most of you guys know gospel means good news, right? It's literally what the word gospel means, good news. But here's the thing, it's only good news to those who know that they're guilty. I mean, think about it. You don't need the blood of the lamb to cover your sins if you aren't guilty. But Jesus, being the sacrificial lamb, <clears throat> it means that there are sins that must be paid for. 
but it also means, listen to this, it also means that you are deeply loved by the lamb himself. Like it's his blood for your freedom. I'll close with this. I'll call the band on up. I want you to just see one more thing. Are we doing okay? I know I've gone a little bit long. I can't even think straight right now. I just want you to see one more thing. Um, When John is asked who he is, right, his response is, he says he's a voice. And his message was all people are unclean. Everybody, not just the Gentiles, not just the non-Jews, all people are unclean. And then he encounters Jesus. Like, listen, he doesn't stop being a voice. He doesn't stop using his voice. Like his uniqueness, right? His uniqueness does not change. But here's what I want you to see. What he says does change. So listen, the result of you truly encountering Jesus is you don't stop being a voice. You don't stop using your voice. Your uniqueness does not and will not change after an encounter with Jesus. But the outcome of encountering Jesus for who he really is is to say with the voice of your life, behold Jesus. Behold Jesus. Look at him. He's my sacrificial lamb and he can be yours too. That's the result of a true encounter with Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a unique voice, to be uniquely who God has designed you to be, but to declare with that unique voice, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To like literally with your life declare, I see it, I get it. Do you get it? Do you guys see and get what I'm seeing and getting? Like, that's what it means to follow Jesus. God, in a beautiful way, hijacks your unique voice and inserts his words into your mouth, figuratively speaking. Are you following with this imagery and this idea? Okay. The outcome of truly encountering Jesus is your unique voice, your gifts, your talents, your strengths, your resources, your entire life is harnessed to proclaim to the world around you, behold Jesus. Behold him. Look at him. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's my prayer for each of us. It's my prayer for restored church that just like John, we would encounter Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, you're not the same. You're not. Your voice stays the same, but your message totally changes. What you do totally changes. How you express your uniqueness to the world changes, but your uniqueness doesn't because he created you to do that. That's my prayer, that we would see him for who he truly is. We'd see him coming towards us like John did, that he's making his way. He's coming towards us. He's moving towards us. That's the character of God. That's the cross. Because here's the thing. If we actually see him for who he truly is, if we actually encounter him in an ongoing way, not a one-time deal, cool, I encountered Jesus, I saw him for who he is, now I do my thing. But if we in an ongoing way, if you in an ongoing way encounter him, see him for who he truly is, listen, If that happens collectively, nothing will be able to stop that collective voice from declaring to the world, behold. Nothing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And God willing, 
the entire valley, the entire state, the entire planet will see who Jesus is and it will change them and God's kingdom will permeate everything. Brokenness restored, division gone, unity, love, racism ends, poverty ends. Like, you guys know God is in the process of restoring all things. People think I'm gonna go to heaven, like I need to be removed from this. No, heaven's coming to earth. Read the book of Revelation. The new heavens and the new earth are, God is filtering out evil. And the lamb of God is, is literally the sacrificial lamb in our place so that as he's filtering out evil, I don't get filtered out. Because I'm just as evil as anybody else. My heart is just as wicked. I'm just as selfish. I'm just as, a, as self-centered and cruel. God's filtering out all evil. He's making all things new. How? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's redeeming things, guys. Have you encountered Jesus? Like, have you seen him? Oh, have you seen him? If you've seen him, you'd know. Like, you'd know. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's been a really long time. I want you to stand if you're able. I'm gonna pray for us that each of us would encounter Jesus by the power of his spirit. Father, I pray for each of us in the room. Like we can't try hard enough to encounter Jesus. (laughs) But I believe that your spirit is saying to us the same thing we said this morning, to to be still. To not try to, to earn something, not try to perform, not try to put the pieces together, but to actually just be still and receive. So I pray for every heart and every mind, the Spirit of God, that you would move in this place, that you would move in every heart, like every single one. I don't want anybody left behind. Would you move in every single heart to help us see Jesus clearly, see him for who he is. We want an encounter because we know that encountering you and your holiness and your goodness and your glory, you're... You don't use your authority to lord over us and, like, and, and control us. You use your authority to lay your life down as the sacrificial lamb in our place. Would you help us to encounter Jesus? Would you help us to see Jesus clearly so that every aspect of our unique voice, our gifts, our talents, our strengths, our resources, all of it, that it would proclaim the beautiful message of the gospel. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. Not everyone's called to be a church planter or, or, or a worship leader or, or whatever. These unique, precious men and women have been designed and created by you. With a, they're, they're a unique voice. So I pray that you would redeem each person in this room, that they would see their value and their worth from your perspective, not from another perspective. They wouldn't be like the stand-up comedian trying to impersonate another voice, that they would live the life that you've created them to live and that they would know if they're on the right track by, is it declaring, behold, the Lamb of God? Is it declaring, Jesus has taken away my sin and he can take away yours too. Just behold, just look at him, just receive. I love you, Jesus. Spirit, do what my prayers can't, what my preaching can't, what only you can do. I trust you and I love you. And I thank you for your grace and mercy. Amen.